Welcome to Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Marketing is a multifaceted discipline that encompasses a wide range of activities geared toward creating, communicating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value for customers, clients, partners, and society as a whole. That's a rather stale dictionary definition of marketing, but we as sports fans certainly see the impact of marketing, but many of us, myself included, don't understand the intricacies that go into marketing. Our guest today, Matt Repchik, is someone who can fill those knowledge gaps. Matt is a chief marketing officer of Florida Citrus Sports. Matt joined Florida Citrus Sports in 2005 and is now in his 18th season. Matt previously served as Senior Director of Marketing Communications, a role he began in 2013. In his role, Matt leads the Integrated Marketing Communications Department, including the non-for-profits public relations, advertising, creative production, digital, and social media. Matt is a graduate of Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism, and he began his career with Florida Citrus Sports as a seasonal communications assistant and advanced through the organization with various roles in communications department and marketing departments before stepping into a leadership position at their intersection. We're so fortunate to get these behind the scenes views of the inner workings of different facets of organizations and sports, and all of those things that touch sports in tangential ways. So we hope you all enjoy this conversation with Matt Repchuk. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. So I want to dig into to what you do today and all the work that you do with Florida Citrus Sports and the marketing component that you have there. But for the listeners, can you take us back and give us a view into how you got to where you are today? Oof. Um, <laughs> I yes, think it's a loaded question. It is. <laughs> well, it's, just, uh, it's, it's a weird... Yeah, I guess as as most people in in sports are, it's, it, there's it's a nonlinear path, or like you know, there's no no easily traceable thing. So uh, let's go all the way back to uh, two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I was a senior uh, at Northwestern. I had been uh, a walk on to the wrestling team uh, for for several years, uh, mostly a practice dummy. Like I, I am not. Uh, I was never at the skill level of. Um, a big 10 wrestler, uh, but I was available at a time when their bodies were needed. And I, you know, work hard and come in and, and, uh, get tossed around, uh, quite a bit by the, the heavyweights back in the day. Um, but then as I got to my senior year, I had had just an accumulation of injuries because like I said, I'm not, I'm not at that level. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, basically made of tissue paper and, and toothpicks and getting, um, hurt a few times. So, uh, got to a point where I just was I'm not going to continue as a, as a, com- I was never a competitive athlete, but not continuing even as a practicing athlete and started helping out a little bit in the, uh, in the office for the, the wrestling coaches. Um, there was a couple different random things that overlapped with, projects that I had been working on as a, as a Medill student, as a journalism student, uh, like graphic design, layout stuff, some, um, video editing, putting some highlight reels together, uh, for our, our, uh, team, things like that. And that also, um, I, I don't remember whose idea it was, but let's, let's say it's mine because there's more blame to be laid. Uh, started making some posters to promote matches that we had coming up. It was a year when we were between 
um, what is currently the wrestling practice facility and at the time they were practicing at Patton gym. And so uh, doing some promotional uh, stuff around uh, matches that had coming up, we had a really great uh, freshman class. Anybody who remembers uh, Northwestern wrestling, that's when uh, Jake Herbert was a freshman and, and we had Dustin Fox, you know, two guys that went on and win national championships. And so uh, we had a, a, a pretty great team that time. And I was putting together, uh, promotional things that ultimately were not approved by Northwestern Athletics because I I don't think I realized that I needed that kind of approval. I just thought, well, this would be kind of cool. Let's see if we can get some some fans out to the wrestling matches. And so that resulted in a couple of conversations, all friendly ones, with the uh, coaches and athletic staff about you know going about promoting our stuff and what was like, like basically guerrilla marketing versus what is supposed to be how you how you go about uh, promoting your events uh, and learned a little bit there. Um, that spun me off into uh, an internship with the Chicago Rush, uh, the arena football team. It was just before they went on to win win a championship. I uh, actually ended up working with um, Sean Sullivan, who went on to be a Northwestern uh, um, staffer and uh, I believe he's a professor in the mm-hmm. uh, in the business school at the moment. Uh, and so did a little bit of communications and community uh, outreach kind of work with them as my journalism degree was sort of wrapping up uh wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do in a in a career that that had been focused on kind of the storytelling side of things of uh, back in the day uh, the journalism program had a magazine uh track which seems kind of laughable today when we look at the current state of journalism but there are obviously a number of uh long form uh, uh outlets that are still out there and so that had been kind of my my career uh focus but i saw those opportunities you know drying up and so looking at other places that i could uh, apply the skill set that i was developing and and the interest in in storytelling that brought me to the rush and then from there uh some internship opportunities through big 10 uh, bowl partners which included the citrus bowl uh and that internship with florida citrus sports started fall of 2005 and i have not left the company since i know how you feel in that sense because you've been there for almost 18 years now it seems right yeah and i have been in my job for almost 17 years uh so i think we're two of the strange people now i got this job during graduate school and it is the job that i still have today so it's really interesting to see someone in that same role it's interesting you bring up the magazine component of it and you look back on it now and say, well, maybe that is passe. But interestingly, I think magazines have an approach that they could take of being like luxury goods, yeah. where if you want them, someone will pay a premium for them. Right. But also with that, the long form component of it, and this may be a personal piece, I go one of two routes. I get the headlines, read the snippets, or I like to dig into a 25,000 word article about something the in-between space for me is kind of left and i don't know why but that could be the niche that magazines fill going forward in some ways yeah and and you think about all the uh the articles that you bookmark on social media or or just in in the web browser that are whether they're defined as long form or even like the medium form kind of stuff, like just a nice profile of somebody, the stories that you'd like to um, you'd like to go back to at some point. Now we all save a bunch of stuff and then don't always go back to it. But that that kind of 
journalism still exists that like narrative nonfiction stuff even in a in a shorter format is still i i'd like to think the thriving out there but it also these days has converted into you know brief video content into other different uh, mixed media formats that let, let you tell those same kind of stories in a different way um i think i was right uh, right on the edge of like I probably I could have figured out if that that's the, the place I wanted to go, like stick it out in journalism. It would have been uh, tough for a little bit, but find the spot. Could you also think of the the democratization of like barriers to entry? I don't know if I just that's a term doesn't make any sense, but like how many people have been able to get through without having to, you know, I guess pay dues necessarily yeah. just like the strength of the writing, the strength of talent, or just like working really hard on your own to kind of grind it out like that, that opportunity um, was kind of coming online at the same time. So you, you also look at how many people have really been successful. Think about like uh, Matt Brown that you've had on this podcast mm -hmm. recently uh, who has no uh, conventional journalism background, but has just, you know, found, found that space for it. And so that's also kind of challenging when you're a, a journalism graduate to see like, Oh, maybe there are people that are able to get there without having that that set of skill set. So how can I go in the other direction and say, what are the things that I'm learning here that can make me successful in other areas? Like, how do I apply this elsewhere in a professional setting? You say the democratization of removing those barriers. It's almost a democratization of entry points yes. in the sense of there was such a linear path to work at a the beat writer at a newspaper local and work your way up from that. Yeah. But now that direct to consumer relationship enables the democratization of the entry pass into that. There's more around this that I want to get to, because I think that plays into what you do today and have over the last almost 18 years, how you tell those stories and how you weave that into the marketing components of what you do. But if we rewind a little bit, what was it that brought you to Northwestern? What was the draw and the appeal of Northwestern coming from Florida? Um, I got in, right? So <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was really excited about the opportunity. Now, how did I uh, how did I get connected maybe in the first place? Um, I think that I believe that that college football is what brought me there, which is funny, you know, where I am currently in my career, you know, working for a bowl game. But the the year that I would have been applying to colleges – 2000 to 2001 i started in in um late 2001 and that's a you know a pretty important moment in northwestern football history right um mm -hmm. randy walker and the spread offense uh pulling some pretty crazy um pretty crazy upsets or or some thrilling games you know the the birth of the cardiac cats mantra back in the day uh, so i was not a huge college football fan um as a high schooler, I probably wasn't even a college football fan at a large scale until after I graduated. I was a Northwestern fan for four years for sure and continue to be. But um, don't think I had like the full uh, depth of knowledge and appreciation for college football until I really got to, to Florida Citrus Sports and dug into it on a, on a it was my job. Right. So uh, but back in the day my dad would have been watching uh, college football every Saturday. And so when I'm filling out the, you know, the, where do you send your SAT scores? What schools do you want to get information of? There was an extra slot at the end of my list. And my dad said, put Northwestern on, that's a good school. And I said, okay, and check the box. And that, that was really all that, that comes down to is just my dad saying, put it on the list. And then 
got this, the material and looked a little bit more into the campus and really fell in love with it. Went, went on the site visit, the whole family, you know, we drove up from Florida and, uh, you know, I got back in the car that day and said, this is where I'm, I'm coming to college. Those little things and those little diversions in the path can really set you on a course for what you end up eventually doing, because what if that box hadn't existed? And I think it's a really interesting thing to see how those things play out. Yeah. But if you spin that forward now with what you do and you've been there for you know quite some time, you have evolved in that role to be the chief marketing officer at Florida Citrus Sports. But if you take us back historically, how did you continue to evolve in that role and where did it start to where it is now? Yeah, it. Um, I guess it's another another answer about like how just being at the right, the right spot in time, I suppose, because the, the organization um, has changed quite a bit over these 18 years and my uh, role has changed quite a bit over the 18 years. So uh, that first season, you know, pretty standard. We had uh, two bowl games. Uh, we hosted a, um, HBCU game, the Florida Blue Florida Classic between uh, Florida A uh, and M and Bethune Cookman, which we continue to host on their behalf to this day. Um, so it was a, a a standard college football season kind of for Florida Citrus Sports. Uh, we were being led by Tom Mickle, who um, his his role in the the history of of college football is kind of the the father of the bowl championship series and the the bowl alliance before that that you know the the creation myth goes that uh tom was was talking with colleagues and sketched out on the back of the napkin uh an idea of what a playoff would look like between champions of the the power leagues at the time and then that kind of evolved from there into uh what became the bowl championship series now um tom uh, was lured down from uh, he was at the ACC at the time to to be the executive director of, of Florida Citrus Sports. Uh, he'd probably been four or five years on the job uh, by the time I I joined, and so I had a little bit of an opportunity to work with him directly, um, do, doing some research around selections and and some of our uh, typical things. But I'm you know just just an intern. Um, end of my year is. Uh, meant to be April of, of 2006, and they were. Uh, I was talking about opportunities to either extend or find a full time position. The communications department, um, which was separate from marketing at that at that point, had um, shuffled around some positions. Some people had left, um, and then in April, Tom passed uh, while he was in office. Uh, he had been undergoing treatment for um, for cancer for quite a bit, and and had just just reached a point of remission and then had a heart attack while he was uh, sitting in his desk. And it was, you know, just devastating to us on a personal level as, as an organization, as a community in Orlando, because Tom had come in as really a huge cheerleader for what Orlando could be as a host city for major events. Uh, and so their huge shuffle of what's, what's happening at that point, my boss, um, uh, at the time had been brought to Orlando to kind of work under Tom. He uh, eventually went back to uh, North Carolina. Um, so there was a suddenly a stretch of time, like three to six months or so in the middle of that year where I was like one year into my professional career and I was the communications department um, for the organization while they hired uh, a new full-time director. Um, that also included like 
suddenly having to manage the executive director search, not process, not, not manage the process myself, but like, how do you put the press conference together to, to announce who our new person is and deal with all the, the, the details that go into that. Um, so all those things like learning on the fly within less than a year of, of graduating, um, from, from college. Uh, so the job shifted quite a bit there. Then new staff came in, um, Steve Hogan, who is our, our current CEO was installed as, as executive director he had already been with the organization so I, I knew him um as well at that at that point and uh you know the the momentum like trying to figure out where, where does florida citrus sports go from here what are the other things that we're trying to do um that all like there's a there's a path of like where we were then as three games to where we are now which is a portfolio that includes a number of international soccer matches we'll have a, a season opening college kickoff game in florida state and lsu uh this season uh, we're looking into music space we do the pop warner uh super bowl and cheer and dance national championships with pop warner uh here in orlando so our our company is on this huge growth trajectory that's taken place over these two decades and then lay on top of that like this was 2006 2007 so like the think about all the the trends in media and digital media that have happened over that time as well and and this intersection between communications and marketing that have happened in a lot of places um but especially in, in sports so social media didn't you know it existed kind of but it wasn't really a thing until uh, you know a couple of years into my professional career um you know managing our own web web properties versus having that done through a third party you know the way that there's been like cstv and some of the old school uh, providers that have helped with college sports websites for a long time so like bringing all that stuff in-house the more like sophistication of our email marketing all these things all these tools that have developed over time and so what my job has been originally defined as you know changes basically on a yearly basis and then if there's ever a point where like the role is not that different year over year suddenly we've added two new events or there's mm -hmm. other things that have come along so the company has changed along the way so uh you know there there's there's been 18 years uh, of experience in there and you're trying to not have it's not one year of experience 18 times right you're never doing the same thing two years in a row it feels like because of all those uh opportunities for change and development that have happened over that time you mentioned the bowl games and the kickoff game and the HBCU game that you have. And you talked about this a little bit, but how are you continuing to expand and how is the company continuing to expand and focusing on that event space? Obviously, we had a, a little bit of time where that wasn't as robust, right? Starting mm -hmm. in March of 2020, which I'm sure you, you have lots of stories about how to deal with those components and how it affected your business. But as we come out of that and that event spaces, I think people do crave that these days. As you see that, and your company is evolving. But what are the spaces that you're looking at going forward in addition to all the great work in the bowl games that you do today? Yeah, we we um we have tried to take the the model that we know well, which is let's just call it event operations. Like there's there's part of doing a bowl game that is very specific to like managing those relationships with with the college teams and really setting them up for success at the game. And so we we feel like we have been able to do that well, and we're starting to apply that into international soccer. Like the difference between 
a Florida State and a, a, an Arsenal is significant, right? As far as like their business, but like there's a lot of stuff that you can find that from what we're doing as as the event provider. Um, how we find those those uh, areas that are of similarity so that we can facilitate one just as well as, as the other or understand the nuance to it too and i don't claim to know soccer um or or global football nearly as well as i do know american college football so we also have uh, a team of uh experts in that space that have been a little bit more seasoned in, in the the florida cup and fc series event that we've been working on there there i rely on some um experts there so we've been figuring how do you how do you translate that like execution, the the operational excellence that we strive for into other areas where we may not have the institutional knowledge, but we can make that up through partnership. Um, I gave the soccer example, the thing that we've been chasing for the last two years or so uh, is a music festival. Um, Orlando is home to the uh, the one of the editions of the Electric Daisy Carnival um, uh, EDM festival, which is a massive. I mean, hundred thousand people on campus at the stadium uh, each day over the course of three days, uh, and it's one of those events that has it has grown its brand over time. So that like they they need to have great headliners, they need to have talent that you're really excited in, but. A lot of people are buying their tickets because they know EDC is in Orlando and then they'll figure out who's playing later on. And so that like that from a just like like very, very high level, like just as an entertainment concept, that's what we're trying to do with the Citrus Bowl, right? That you're probably waiting until you find out who's playing in the Citrus Bowl. But if you want to come, like there's some people that are just making their trip to Orlando and they're, they've kind of put that on the agenda otherwise. So they, they know that they're coming for that. That's a little bit different from like FSU, LSU, where you're there because either you know you love one of those teams or you know that it's going to be a huge game, you know, probably two top 10. Um, so how do we create that? that music festival uh type of atmosphere as well that like create a brand we've got to start hot we probably got to put in several years of like building it up over time but eventually get ourselves to a spot where that's a recurring piece of of business on the calendar every year that somebody knows i gotta go to orlando at this time because i want to try and catch that that festival so we've been chasing um something i wish i had details to share we're hoping by let's call it october november we'll be able to announce our our first foray into that space it's it's going to be a a learning experience for us but that that is probably that's the next big thing that we have yet to launch um you know within youth which is the other thing that we've we've really gotten off the ground fast with pop warner um you know now we've built out a model to say how is the full campus around Camping World Stadium being put to use? You know, multiple fields going at given times, kind of a fan fest area that is central to it. That's an event that takes place over the course of eight days, basically on the stadium campus. And it's never it's never a 60 to 70,000 person crowd the way that uh, some of these college games are. But it's it's pulling, you know, uh, almost 100 percent out of market uh, audience in to to watch these football games, in addition to a huge, huge cheer component that's happening right now at our, our convention center in town. Uh, so now we've kind of built out that model and figure out like, you don't, you're not selling tickets for that. You're not necessarily selling media rights for that. 
uh, the way you would for for a bowl game. You're not getting like a huge title sponsor the way that you maybe do for a bowl game. So the the revenue model for that is more travel package stuff. How do we drive people towards our our local hotels? Um, what what is the the amenities that those people want when they come into town? How do we make that part of their experience? And so they're you know basically on a vacation that happens to coincide with the, with the youth tournament. So that's a whole different business uh, model that we've been learning quite a bit about, and then figuring how do we you know what what exists for soccer what exists for lacrosse like where are there other places where our venue could be a great host for a similar type of event it's incredible to see all the things that go into these types of events that the average person the lay person that attends one of those events doesn't really understand or know all the work that goes into putting those things on you talk about the bowl games it saddens me in some ways, or maybe I'm embarrassed to see the cheese it container over your left shoulder there. Cause I went to undergrad at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly say it was a very good showing for Purdue <laughs> in the bowl game last year, but I think that's an interesting component of it. And you brought this up about that fan base and understanding the teams that are going to be in the games mm-hmm. in your time and being so ingrained in this work with these bowl games. How has that changed? How has the makeup of the fans changed? How has the attendance model or what they do around the event changed in the time that you've been there? Well, let's let's start um, with some credit to the the Boilermakers. <laughs> it was a tough game day and it was a tough game month. The, the, the current college football calendar, um, you know, it, it presents some occasional uh, challenges, uh, and I, I, I sounds like I'm I'm dancing around saying it, but like Purdue was almost immediately cut off at the knees in preparing for the game because uh, the coach change happened almost immediately, right? The um, uh, Jeff Brown was announced as Louisville's coach, um, and so a, a number of co- assistant coaches and support staff started to trickle out with them. So we had a a kickoff meeting. Um, you know, less than 24 hours after uh, selection, if I recall correctly. And by the middle of that week, some of the people that we had had an initial planning conversation with were were on the way out. That's just the nature of, it wasn't that nobody was like, nobody was intending for it to be that way. It just happens, right? Because right. that's the way that the calendar, you know, that was, that's the moment after, after the regular season is over, championship games are over, bowls are selected where that window kind of opens um, for coaches. And then the transfer portal window opens right now in that in that window of time. So, you know, your coaching staff goes, your support staff goes, a number of your players either decide they're going into the portal or at least like, I'm not going to be participating in this bowl game. I'm declaring for the draft or otherwise weighing, weighing my options. And so the level of excitement on uh, Purdue's campus, I think, and this is from like, like an admin side through fans is not truly represented in how that, that bowl week played out, right. That they were, they were trying, you know, worked really hard with, with Brian as a interim coach, got Drew Brees, which is a really cool thing for us, uh, you know, from a promotional standpoint, especially to play against LSU. There's a lot of ties to Louisiana with Drew. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there were a lot of Purdue fans that were excited, no matter what the situation was, they had had a really great year, obviously playing in the championship game. There was a lot of effort on the, the Purdue admin side, even in this point of huge turmoil to try and uh, make something out of it. And it, it just, they ran into a buzzsaw of, of LSU and they, they did it, you know, probably at half or third of the strength of the team that we had seen through the regular season. So that's uh, probably a, a story around bowl time that people don't necessarily, 
like you you knew it at the moment if you were following college football but like you look back at scores and you don't think about well there's a lot that was going on at purdue at the time so yeah i think that you're right that you don't think about those things i do think if we step back from it an honest objective opinion i think they were certainly regardless of if they're full strength they're not probably overmatched in some ways however in the coaching situation it many of the players not playing um, right. whether that was they're going to transfer they're going to go to the draft or those things it certainly hurt them in that sense but I, as you talk about it it's really interesting because on this side you would think that has to be something that weighs into the decision from a selection perspective however you mentioned there's some things with dates from the coaching change with the things with the transfer portal but then there's also some level of well hey does this look strange from our side if we don't select this team because of the aspect of there could be some of that that happens so i'm sure that's a lot to contend with when you're trying to get teams to draw fans and so on yeah and we we have a you know a local um a membership group here in orlando that's part of uh our organization that they have ticket packages to the bowl games and so as part of that they they are our representatives out on the road if if a fan has ever seen a a bowl scout from orlando it's often somebody that's you know, within our volunteer board of directors or or otherwise a member of our organization. So it's made up of local professionals and other um, folks, just just people that, that love college football. Um, and so we try to guide them a little bit on on that process. Like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Some of this stuff just changes, right? The day after you select, if you know a quarterback declares that he's leaving for the draft and that was not you know, even rumored or suggested that, yeah, it just, it just kind of happens. Another example, you know, one of the first bowl opt-outs that people remember, they compare um, Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey in the same season had both uh, opted out of their games and, and Fournette was meant to play in the Citrus Bowl. Um, He was uh, scheduled in their game, LSU's game against uh, Louisville. That was not LSU's last appearance, but it was one of their previous ones. Uh, and afterwards, he's given interviews basically that the coaches had told him he should not play for the sake of letting his body heal. Um, and obviously, it has worked out for him on a, on a pro level, but hmm. he took that time to let, you know, recover and think about his future. Uh, I, I think, you know, in a had things been different, we go back to the question of how things have evolved. If we had known uh, in that year, that he was, you know, he was hurt and uh, unlikely to play and was going to, you know, make that make that known. We still could have if NIL as as it's currently existing was in effect, could have found a way to engage Leonard as like a promotional uh almost a spokesman for the for the event. Now the the rules in at the moment like you can't if you're participating in a bowl game, you cannot have a promotional relationship with that game right mm-hmm. so i can't go to an active player and do that but now in this circumstance leonard is not playing in the game so all right now you're coming down as an ambassador and you're going to do some meet and greets and other things and that's maybe doesn't uh you know entice an lsu fan that was really kind of hoping to see you play but it, you are a big part of this team that that made it the citrus bowl so how do we find a way to engage you um in, in that way that's one of the things that i think we're trying to how do you take advantage of the, this current situation um, and and the current guidelines around NIL, even as it's rapidly evolving? You know, you don't want to be act too fast and and 
be on your heels, but we also have to be sort of agile in reacting to, to some of these situations, given the way the, the calendar works. You brought up NIL, and it's a topic that we often talk about on this podcast and listeners of this podcast. Many of them are active in college sports, work in college sports, participate in college sports. And you said it, it's an ever-changing landscape. It's really a moving target. I often think about it from both sides, meaning the player side or the university side. Yeah. But never thought of it from someone like yourself. But are there other components of name, image, and likeness that you come up against or have to deal with from a day-to-day basis or working from a bowl game perspective? I think um, the the biggest thing is is just being mindful of our current, the current rules and really the current um, uh, guidance and compliance understanding within each campus. So, you know, fortunately, we are a drop in the bucket for what our participating teams are, are dealing with on a regular basis. And so we can often go to them uh, and, and they have a designated NIL lead that can tell us this is what this is the organization that we would typically go through. Um, and this is the process that you need to follow to kind of be compliant to follow, you know, fall fall uh within what what is acceptable from the athletic department standpoint. Um because we've we've looked at it a couple of different ways. Actually for our, our international soccer match last year we did some things uh just with some local um women's soccer players because an opportunity to engage female student athletes that otherwise we don't don't always see, right? Or working in football, which is a male sport. Um so we've looked at that one was a little bit easier to work uh on because they were promoting an event that they weren't taking part in, right? That that rule is a lot easier um, for a, a soccer match, like uh, what the FC series event is. And uh, so for the bowl games, it's really like how, where are the guardrails that uh, we or any partners um, have to work with them? Um, you may have seen that cheez had a, um, a big deal with, they, they were sponsoring both of our bowl games last year and they did a, deal with one student athlete from each campus that included staying in the uh, cheesiest hotel rooms imaginable from completely reskinned uh, hotels in each of the team properties that, you know, was made up with cheese at alarm clock and bed sheets and towels and everything, you know, you can uh, imagine. So uh, that was the idea was they get to wake up feeling the cheesiest on game day. And so working with uh, cheese it and open doors, to be really clear that like they can't unfortunately they cannot say that they're excited to play in the cheese it bowl or in the cheese it citrus bowl they can talk about how much they love cheese it and they happen to be in orlando at the time of this <laughs> event that's happening but like right now there's very very clear from the schools and and going through it with open doors so like they just can't we can't talk about the bowl game now it worked out just fine our our overall impressions you know everybody knew what they were talking about but you have to be really really mindful of that because if that goes uh south the brand isn't necessarily the one that's getting hurt right it's a student athlete that has has some consequences on a compliance standpoint so we're always being very very careful about that um and we tried to find ways how do you creatively you know tiptoe around those rules or do things that would not you know would not be even in the in the ballpark of of a challenge you know as another example uh we we did a deal uh through a third party that ultimately engaged um jordan travis and dylan gabriel um our two quarterbacks for uh the the cheese bowl 
and instead of it being promotional to the game, we brought them around to uh, the areas uh, that the like the neighborhood that the stadium is in is part of our community impact focus. Um, it's a an area known as the communities of West Lakes in in downtown Orlando, uh, and we have a. Uh, another 501c3 that we work with lift orlando that has guided a lot of investment that has come out of our events and and the stadium being in this neighborhood and so we took those players on a tour of some of the projects that had come about because of lift orlando and because of of our bowl games and and the stadium in general to say here's here's an example of how sports can do um, great things and we know that that kind of message resonates with the athletes themselves because they hear it as part of their their visit here so then how do we translate that into some content for fans um and it was never really about the cheese bowl it was just about like what is what is this game existing in town while you happen to be here playing for it what does that do for the community um so those are the kind of things we always just have to be we're at the bottom of the food chain in college football as as a postseason game right that we're we're not you know the huge brands of the teams we're not necessarily the conferences like we are one game at the end of their season it's a big deal for us it's a big deal for our community but we have to be mindful of where what our place is and how we need to be flexible and creative sometimes to uh, to maximize our place there's so much that's shifting and changing with that. Even just listening to you talk about the ways you approach that and all the different creative ways that you have to do that, which is different than probably it was when these things started, which is different than it's going to be a year from now, because again, yeah. such a moving target. But there's other pieces that you mentioned in college football specifically, but in the college sports landscape overall that are changing that could have some impact on you mentioned things like the transfer portal, but also things like conference realignment. When we were younger, it was no bowl games. And then in some ways, I miss the days of the BCS. Some days I don't, but the playoff yeah. is interesting to see. But then you see with the conference realignment, the TV deals, there's some schools of thought of there's so much money in this from a television perspective, from attendance perspective, that we could be looking at moving towards the privatization of those, those types of things. I think it's debatable if we are moving in that direction or not. But how are those pieces impacting you and impacting what you do for managing these bowl games and the whole portfolio that you have to manage? I mean, it, it affects everything um, down down the uh, calendar for us because this is our our core business. These postseason games, you know, we're looking at um, extend, extending into these other verticals, and you know, to step to the side a little bit that that effort to get into soccer and music and youth sports and do these other things. You know, part of the goal is programming for our venue for our our organization you know ma- maintaining a year round calendar that allows us you know to spread through overhead and uh, all the things that we're doing to plan throughout the year because you know the the bowl games are the end of the the calendar year for us but there's there's quite a bit of other things that we're working on now we're adding more major events into that uh mix all the time but the other reason that we got into doing all those things is we have to safeguard our our pie chart of of EBITDA um, against forces that are beyond our control right black swan events that can completely shake up um how things uh look for us right we can provide the best possible experience to our conferences and to our teams and to our television partner um year over year which is part of that operational excellence thing i mentioned earlier but at the end of the day, like they, if there's 
opportunities for realignment that that completely shakes up what that uh the makeup of those conferences and that that's not the the citrus bowl is not a consideration in in making those decisions nor necessarily should it be we have to be the ones to kind of figure out where our our place is and you know the the ground underneath us could shift through no um effort or or fault uh, of our own so we are um constantly kind of keeping an eye on on where everything else lands and how that affects us we've just taken our our leadership through some prospective calendars uh under the expanded playoff and what that looks like and now the next step is trying to forecast backwards you know th- this will be our first year of the new big 12 or maybe this is like the interim big 12 year right because you've got yeah. Texas and Oklahoma, but you're also adding in uh, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and so we we have hosted Oklahoma twice um, in our our Big Twelve relationship. We have yet to host Texas. You know, they they we may see them move over to the SEC and host them in the Citrus Bowl before we ever get them in what is now the Pop Tarts Bowl. Uh, but we also have four new teams, and so that's four new campuses to uh, build some relationships with. Let's call it three because UCF is a little bit easy for us to to. Yeah get to know uh so uh, where they fit into like how you just add four new teams playing in completely different conference schedules like you can't forecast what vegas like what the what the odds are for who your your table is going to be at the end of the year right Not, not that you could have predicted that on last year's big 12 either necessarily but just think about now you've added four other teams um into the mix and what that does for like the, all the potential options up and down the the selection order, and then you figure that one out, and you remove the two teams that have, whether or not they've been uh, uh, up in the championship contention order, they are, you know, there's there's a big void when you remove Texas and Oklahoma from the mm-hmm. Big Twelve, as people understand it. Doesn't mean that they're, you know, that that things are going to change dramatically as far as wins and losses yet um but we'll see you know we have, we have no idea i guess is what i'm trying to get at because you now remove those two teams what does that do for the the conference order next year and that's now the first year of expanded playoff then we've got one year to figure out what that looks like before yeah, there's there's another trial year and then our our conference deals end and our tv deals end and so if we're not thinking about that stuff now even when we don't necessarily know what could potentially change, uh, we're going to be behind when it comes time to talk through the next cycle, right? 2026 uh, and beyond. So those are things that, you know, we have to, you have to be forecasting ahead and you have to be looking at what's the, what's the next iteration. Uh, Nobody would have predicted uh, USC, UCLA at the time that that was announced. Right. But that, that kind of stuff is just going to come along. We have to be, you know, fortifying ourselves for these potential massive shifts and what that just does to us across the board. Uh, but also, like, we got to deliver a good experience, right? We well, let's say we end up with one of these either uh, uh, ACC team that we haven't had in, in a long time, um, and the you know potential new Big Twelve team in the Pop Tarts Bowl, and how do we continue to deliver to them the same top level experience, regardless of our eyes are on three years down the road. There is a lot to consider. You outline that, but you frame it really well in that there's an enormous amount of opportunity in that too, in the sense that your teams and new fan bases and the ability to bring in different people to the area that haven't experienced it before. I think we oftentimes look at some of this conference realignment, the shift and change, well, this isn't like it used to be. And I have some of that too. It's still weird to me 
USC and UCLA from a Big Ten perspective. I went to Purdue for undergrad and Northwestern for graduate school. Growing up in the Midwest, I feel like I watched Michigan every Saturday on ABC. And to think that USC and UCLA are part of the Big Ten is still strange. But in truth, it could be an opportunity. And so it's cool that you frame that like that. We talk about the opportunities and there's so many different directions that we could go in this conversation. And I could talk to you more about Purdue and their showing. But I get you out of here on this. In this events management space around college football and around bowl games, what is the thing that excites you most as we look forward? I think I think that the the opportunities out there are the most the most exciting, you know, uh, to call back to something I said earlier that there, there's been so much change over the course of the 18 years that I've, I've seen. And, you know, like you said, there's going to be new, new things that come up. Like you've got to adjust your, your foundational business to be prepared to, to make it through whatever the, the next thing is, but then somewhere in there, right. Are there new are there new event opportunities in a different part of the year? Like, how do we, how do we build out something, some new property with these these partners that we can um, continue to pursue together? How do we uh, find our space, whether it's in, uh, you know, this this current playoff format does not have um, room for another host city, right? It's taking place within the existing uh, rotational cities. And so if there is further expansion, is that something we want to be prepared for? Are we comfortable with where we're, we're sitting here? And then what are the other events that we can work on with some of these partners? What are the things that, you know, we learned a lot from staging uh, the Pop Warner Championships, as I mentioned. So what else can we do with them? Where are there other, other things that are out there? What will we learn as we get our music event off the ground that gives us some new capacity uh, that we can go and pursue other things? So, uh, you know, from an event, an event standpoint, our, the story of our organization is told through impact, right? That you don't, you, you know a little bit about the Citrus Bowl, hopefully Northwestern, Look somewhat fondly upon their their um, Citrus Bowl championship, which mm-hmm. I know happened in the pandemic year. Uh, but people people remember the memories more than they necessarily remember some some huge event uh, that that's happened in the game. Uh, you know, they they remember the way that they feel, um, and they remember the way that you know, that has potentially uh, impacted their life, whether that's somebody in the stands, uh, somebody that's, you know, living in in the neighborhoods surrounding the stadium that has seen, you know, the, the direct change in their quality of life through some of the investments that the those events have been able to, to inspire. Um, so I think uh, it's, it's being able to create those moments for people, whether they're visiting, whether they're a resident, whether they're a participant, right. That there's some, um, some really cool opportunities for, for all of us in the future. So that's, what's, that's probably what's most exciting. And it is those memories that we keep with us. And I think that's one of the best things about sports. It's so great to have that back in the permutation it is, and I can say full strength. So you're right. It is amazing to have those memories, regardless of the shift and changes around it, it, that opportunity is still there. So Matt, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's really insightful and really cool to see 
you know, again, so much goes into creating these events as someone who has attended these events because his teams have played there or watched them on television. We forget how much goes into it. So it's really insightful for us to see all that goes into it and all the work that you and your team do to make these events happen. So thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you for having me on to talk about it.